welcome back to the official Intergames podcast, Getting Into Games. Each week, we talk to an industry professional all about their role and how they got there. I'm Brandon at Intergames, and this week we talk to Sean Gorman, a hugely talented environment artist, now level designer, working with our friends over at Endreams. We pull apart what exactly a level designer is, how to become one, and the everyday things that inspire him as a game developer. Intergames is a non-profit working to inspire people from primary school age all the way through to careers changes to pursue a career in the games industry. We help to forge an industry that's accessible, open and inclusive for everyone, no matter your background. We run game jams, mentorship, events, Q&As and more, so check us out at intergames.org and intergameshq on Twitter. So without further ado, let's get down to it. Hello, Sean. How are you? Not bad, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here, and thanks for giving us your time. I understand you're very, very busy, and you do help us out a lot. So thank you for, for coming along. No, no. Like, yeah, said this to you before. I'll say it again. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, and you know, it took us some time to get here, but yeah, I'm just happy to help where I can. So yeah, you have as much time as you uh, as, as you want. I can help uh, however you like. However you like. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, looking forward to it, man. I think we should just jump straight in. I think you've got a lot of interesting insights and I'm keen to hear more. So I'll just kick uh, kick off with my first question. And that is, please, if you wouldn't mind, Sean, tell us how you got into games. Cool. Uh, So I got into games, uh, do you want to go as early as like from education or how early do you want to start? Let's start right at the beginning. What was the first thing that made you realize you wanted to get into games and go from there? Cool. Okay. So when I was in school and as early as like primary school, we're playing video games, like along with parents, they give you a console and all that. Sure. I think a lot of people had that experience. Then you go into secondary school, uh, people take the mic because you're doing the same thing. And I was much into fine art and studying and drama and music and a bit bits and bobs of everywhere, but a lot of art. And I was always focused on art stuff. Um, and then I go into college. I took art as well as an A-level in college, fine art. Um, and I was not a programmer. I was not a computer guy. I was very far from it. Even in college, I only took A-levels at art, English, and history. Uh, and so then when everyone else graduated uh, from college and then I graduated from college, everyone else would either choose to go to university or go into full-time in- employment. I had no idea what I was doing. And that was when I took another course in art, thinking that I would just be some sort of goldsmith's art extraordinaire. And, and it, I, it wasn't for me. I, had, I didn't like it at all. Uh, and at that point, between one college and the other, in my A-levels, which I felt was late, uh, everyone explained to me, you know, you need to know what you're doing in school. And I was like, I'll discover it. That point is where I learned that concept art and I learned that environment art is a job. And that is what people get paid for. And all those games I was playing in school, I can actually get paid to help make those games. I was like, ah. Oh. I didn't think that was a job for me or at least something that I was possibly, you know, it was possible for me. So I stuck my, um, I stuck my head into my work, learned online from uh, educators there online as best I could. I uh, got into online resources and then from then on studied at university and then year by year up, up, up into full-time employment working in AAA. Uh, and yeah, here we are. Sounds amazing. And, and what are you doing now? So I work now as a level designer at M-Dreams in London. Fantastic, fantastic. And it's amazing, isn't it? When kind of we're younger, we, we play video games and think uh, that they exist in this kind of like realm where nobody makes them. They just kind of come into existence and, and, and we get to play them. And it's so easy to forget, I think, as a kid that there was actually a team of people behind them. And I think it's changed a little bit now, but I think maybe for when we were younger, at least anyway, you can never think that that was, that that was a job, that people were doing that and getting paid to do it. Yeah, like if you think then when games were like a lot of the time, then you're looking at games on the disc. And I remember it was consoles as a kid. I wasn't really trusted as a young kid on the PC. Uh, you know, friends were, but some parents are not like that. Uh, and so a lot of the stuff you're looking at a disc, and it's the same as like putting a movie into a, yeah, and then pressing play. No one believes that, oh, I could be, well, I, I, they might have those dreams, but they don't really see that oh, I could work in 
I'll be a director doing a new Star Wars. You're like, no, not in another 40 years. Uh, and so when you're thinking, what do I do after college? What do I do in my 20s? And I'm 14 or I'm 16 or 18. It just looks untouchable. And it looks like beyond uh, what is what is possible. But with when you pull back the veneer and, and realize actually very accessible, then uh, yeah, I jumped straight into it. And yeah, it is just that. It is something you can do and it's something you can uh, find your way into uh, with the right mindset and learning the right things from the right people and so on and doing stuff like this it's it's amazing isn't it that a young uh, as a kind of a, a young person it's so easy to like think you need to go into a job that you're not going to enjoy that <laughs> that i think for me at least as a young person like i it almost felt like you had to kind of just like sacrifice the things that you enjoyed when you went into a career or into a job that it was kind of um, like a far-flung dream to actually do something that you really love or as part of a craft or an art that you really love mm. that just seemed like something that was just like a really far off dream i think yeah yeah no i know what you mean yeah you would just you would work the job and, and that's your day-to-day -day and you don't really enjoy it and that became the the job uh stuff that you just have to do you watch the clock go by you know every minute and whether that's how much you're getting paid per minute or per hour and just waiting for the day to end then you go home and do the things you actually enjoy no you can actually have a a, a career and something that we're essentially is following that old adage is that you if you enjoy the job you uh, you don't have to never have to work a day in your life exactly like yeah there you go no no exactly exactly and and and, and i um i've seen a lot of your stuff on twitter and it certainly seems like you do kind of like do the stuff that you do in your in in your work outside of work as well i've seen so many kind of environments or levels and things that you've created in your own free time mm -hmm. so it really seems like you've kind of found the right place for yourself and that you really do do what you love maybe, maybe i'm mistaken maybe that's just your twitter public profile but it certainly <laughs> seems at least like you're really doing something that you love kind of getting you know your teeth sunk into I feel the same. Yeah. And uh, when you're able to not only work uh, inside of an industry uh, and appreciate it and it's your hobby and it's all encapsulated in one thing, it, it, yeah, it does consume every area of life. You think, I not only do this bit as a job and then that's one thing in like one area in one project or in one genre. And then you go home and you're like, I did play that game, which was different. And now I want to make something or emulate something similar or yeah. And, and you're able to do all that because you have this experience elsewhere and do it quickly too. Yeah. It gets you hooked real quick. So uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, going to that, uh, talking about uh, enjoying the job too. I mean, not every day is sunshine and rainbows. There will be some days where it's, it's a bit tough. Uh, yeah. Anyone who says otherwise um, yeah, is, is sugarcoating it a little bit. There are tougher days, but ultimately we enjoy the job we do. And if we're not, then um, yeah, we need to look at why. Um, but yeah, we'll come back to that later on. Well, actually, I think it leads really on, on to my um, next question quite well. And and I guess kind of like, you know, as that young person who who perhaps didn't know um, that level design or environment art could be a career for them, you know, mm -hmm. if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit more about what you do as a level designer and, you know, what does that day-to-day -day look like? What what does the day-to-day -day for a level designer at Endreams look like? Uh, a level designer, uh, where I talk about this, I probably have to talk about like just very quickly my background. So my professional background started inside of environment art. And then after many years working inside of environment art, I moved into design. It's like a sidestep into design. Um, because of that, I have uh, almost like a um, a little bit of an advantage, right? I understand what one discipline and how they work. And then I'm in a design department where I can help marry the two. And so a designer is someone who's thinking about like, if we think just adjectives about a space inside of any kind of game, you're thinking, what do you do in those spaces? Do you run? Do you jump? Do you hide? Do you sneak? Do you shoot? Uh, and that's how they're thinking about those spaces uh, and all of those verbs that you do. And then an artist is thinking about that. Yes, but they're thinking mainly about how does this look and using adjectives, so descriptive words, um, and how they can better make this look more appealing and more satisfying to the eye. And now I think the, the level designer and a good description of a level designer and where I fit in this process is that I help marry the two. I'm thinking firstly about function. Uh, I'm thinking about how the form uh, relates to function. But function comes first and seeing how I can introduce artists into those conversations. Uh, and so they still get what they would like, or we um, we inform part of the beginning part of that process 
Um, we're not controlling the process. We're not dictating what artists do. We're not dictating how the design goes. Sometimes we have to take certain um, principles that are pre-established and keep them sort of holy, if you were they are untouchable. Metrics, for example, how high are cover pieces for a, a guy to take cover behind or how wide a racing track needs to be and, and just apply them to the art. Uh, and so uh, you find yourself working in tandem between the two. And so that's what I've been doing and uh, working between uh, the design department and the art department as a level designer. Um, so yeah, a little bit of that. It's a lot more than that. You're thinking not only blocking out shapes and then the artists then add more context to those shapes, um, sometimes you're working in like very, very simple scripts um, and some get more complicated and it depends where you go. If you want to go a little bit more technical and do more scripting stuff or you want to go a little bit more like towards the visual uh, and there's a lot of paths for that too. But that's a that's a overall. So it sounds really interesting in the way that it straddles these kind of different principles and I think and I guess kind of in a nutshell what I'm getting is that it's kind of that that marrying of like artistic form and style with mm. the function of how the game plays um, and how a player navigates that game with a kind of understanding that, that all of those things have to be applied to a certain language of that yeah. game. So there's certain rules that your level must have or your racetrack must have and making sure that both the, the functional side and the artistic side fit those, that language. Yes, and that all of this is meaningful. Like that, um, when you interact with it, like, do you is there a feeling that you should have? Is there a level inside of any game that you played which you felt like an emotion? Uh, and there, and level designers are thinking, how can I make sure this level constantly gives you that sort of feedback? And they're doing all of this invisibly. Um, so, uh, if I were to think of an example. Uh, like an, like the old uh, Halo 3, uh, when you're in some of those, or even the earliest Halo in that big, uh, wide, very famous level at the very beginning, the cartographer, or I forget its name, and you open out into that large space. And as you just walk out of that small tunnel, you feel claustrophobic. So they're thinking the shape needs to be small, the space needs to be small. And then you get given this wide open wow as you reveal to this massive space. And everything after that is supposed to give you that wow factor. You're looking at vistas, you're looking at large, large, wide open areas with massive structures that feel monolithic. And you're supposed to be thinking of the word essentially sublime and giving that sort of like, like when a cat, like hairs uh, or the hairs on the back of your, your neck go up or when you walk into a church and you go, wow, that feeling, um, they're thinking we need to do this with everything inside of our level as best as we can to make this meaningful. Um, and all of those things they're trying to do through design and then help art uh, and, and, and do the same there too. I think it sounds really, really interesting. I think one of the things as well that um, I guess, as you're talking about that, there is so much kind of nuance as to what a level designer does. I guess it varies mm. hugely depending on the sorts of games you're working on. Um, yes. some, something mm. like Halo, for example, is gonna be in completely different to an open world cityscape game, or as yep. you said, a, a, driving, a driving game. Um, there's just, I guess, a different language for each of those games that you have to kind of apply things to, which I think is really interesting with your role. Yeah, there's different, have different metrics depending on what game you're working on, and there needs to be, so you have rules. Um, and then, yeah, just as you say, different projects will have different um, competencies, competencies of designers. Some will be working in one field and more focused in one area. Others, it's not necessary. Um, either the project's too small or too big. And uh, yeah. There might be multiple or just one. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you're just exactly right. It depends on the project. Uh, but yeah, we full, we'll fulfill quite a role. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think a really interesting one that's very unique to games as well. I think there's lots of things that inspire it and that process that I'm sure you'll be able to tell more, me more about. But it seems to me at least something that's like doesn't exist in any other medium, I suppose. Mm. Uh, yeah, you can draw a uh, comparison. So I, I remember thinking about this and writing about this as well, thinking uh, what other job is similar to this position? And the nearest that I could come to uh, as an example, and uh, this is a, a flawed example, but there's the example that I reached, was an architect. Um, so an architect, when they're making a space, they're thinking, 
who uses this space? So what is its function? Who and you know where are the pathways that you'll walk through? Uh, where are the doorways so you can get exit uh, entrances and exits into other rooms or other areas of the building uh, and all of this needs to be what needs to work if, it, if the doors are too small you can't fit through them if the pathways are too narrow then you can't walk through if they're too long then when you look at them you just feel tired and so everything has to have like a natural flow but they're also thinking how it's actually built and how it's like the process of building it um, so it's all well and good to come up with a, a brilliant, a massive, strange building. No one's ever going to be able to go inside it and navigate it. Then it's a problem. So it's working with two. But sometimes architects are thinking about how beautiful it looks too. So it's a, it's they're thinking about the whole process and making sure that everyone in that process is involved and that that is all considered would be the best word I would say. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of comparisons to draw there. And I had wondered that, my, that myself about kind of what sort of things you may be able to draw inspiration and things like that from. And I guess mm. off, the, off the back of that, I'd love to know, like, what, what things do you draw inspiration from as a level designer? What sort of things are you looking to, to to see how you marry kind of that form and function in that interesting way? You mentioned kind of architecture already. Are there any specific mm. things within that, the discipline you look towards? Are there any other kind of mediums or art forms that you look to for, for inspiration as a level designer? Cool. So my background is in art and for a very long time in art. I love films um, and for even all the way through like my teens, like uh, I had a, I drew a lot of inspiration for other things. And I think that's all positive. Like if, if, if I was a musician and I only listened to music, didn't watch films, didn't care because nothing to do with me. And then I didn't go to the theater because actually I just wanted to do rock music, whatever. No one thinks like that. It's good to have a nice wide spectrum of things that we draw reference from. Uh, from. So films was for me uh, because we're looking at well, a lot of like cinematography, especially when you, you see a couple of those like scenes inside of the Star Wars where they're like a pre-establishing shot and you're like, wow. Those kind of moments at first I would like draw a little inspiration from well that's 2d stuff like an image so when I was inside of environment art that sort of stuff is fantastic and then when you work in uh in sort of concept art you're looking at a lot of those compositional stuff you're you're talking to and, and thinking of well uh photographs so I did for some photography there and that's again a 2d image so that's great for for visual images 2d stuff and then when you go into environment art, it's you've got to think about the 3D space. It works okay if it's a 2D image and it's pretty, sure. But what's it like to move around that space? And what does it look like in 3D inside of a game? And so then you're trying to then uh, compose a space as opposed to just a view. And you might have a few views in that space. So you, you move that up a little bit. And then into design is then when you're thinking about really, yes, a couple of those little views, but that's the artist's job. Just think, where could they put those? Maybe they might have one here, they might have one here, fantastic. But mainly you're focusing on the space. And so even just walking around like an actual city, if there's a, you know, I, I'm in London here, for example, when I walk around Central and I'm thinking about how this whole space is laid out, think about where the roads are how, and where the crossing is for the roads, where people gather, where people meet, if you go to Hyde Park and there'll be specific little like areas, we call them nodes, essentially, where people meet. They'll just move towards all the paths diverge and then they would like sit around or, oh, hello, I'm going to go meet whatever his name is at this particular statue. All of those things, they're all about the space and that, and that is designed for a reason. And it is uh, that's a, really what level designers are doing. They're thinking about how paths converge how you can give the player a path, what the space is like inside of that uh, that area, what shapes are in there, what does that convey, what emotions do you feel when you're inside it, for all of these reasons. So yeah, references everywhere. Films, uh, cities, um, games, obviously. Um, absolutely anywhere. Uh, yeah, and, and it is an entertainment medium, but it doesn't it's not limited to just that. So uh, I mean, even music, like because music has a flow to it. And it gives you some sort of emotion. It's not just that music plays in games, but what sort of, um, like Christopher Nolan does this very well inside of his movies. Um, but yeah, everything. Uh, it's very helpful. And D&D &D as well. D&D is really cool. 
Yeah, I, I've seen that quite a lot, actually. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people do draw inspiration from. I feel like to be able to be a Dungeons and Dragons player, you have to be someone with a really vivid sense of imagination who's able to construct and realize these places in kind of real time in your mind, I guess. Or I guess before, if you're kind of this like dungeon master type character, do you feel <laughs> that Dungeons and Dragons helps inform the work you do um, in the games industry? I would move my camera around and show you the back of this room. As I'm sure you can already see part of it, but there's another section over there just committed to D&D. Yeah, it helps as a dungeon master, particularly as a, as a, as a player in that game. As, so Dungeons and Dragons is a tabletop role playing game. Um, and as a player, you are just using your imagination and a small sheet with numbers to tell you what your character does and what they can't do simply it so you're just trying to imagine um but all of the information being fed to you is by the person who is the orchestrator of that game and that is the someone who's called a dungeon master a game master and they are um giving you information about the like the space you're in and this is usually not visual they're not giving you a picture if they are that's like added it's usually through words and so they have to if and so i am I've uh, been a dungeon master for over a while now. And so when I construct these spaces for players to move into, it's exactly the same as video games. I'm thinking, right, when I use certain words, what emotions does this convey? When I talk about a certain space, how much you know, do I need them to feel a certain thing or do I want them to see a certain thing or do a certain thing? And I'm encouraging them, I'm not telling them. So um, if you was in a giant uh, library, and the walls were really, really like high, and you could see books, shelves stacking up, 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 up. And I can use certain words like stacking. It's like, oh, okay, can, can I climb them? And then you're talking about, right, and then you meet uh, a, a, a character in this space. Well, what else do I do? Can I talk to them? Well, they've actually got a sword and they're running at you. And then you're okay, well, it looks like they're going to attack me. All the words you're using, and all the spaces that you make, you're trying to give your players a better idea of what they can do. Uh, and that, like to translate that, um, that word vomit, that is my job in games. Um, trying to convey space, give it meaning and give it intentional um, intentionality, give the player some sort of direction uh, and so they can understand the space better. Amazing. It, it really does seem like there is like a, a real intrinsic link between them. And I think if you're someone who perhaps is a dungeon master, you would perhaps make a really great game designer or developer. And if you're a game developer or designer, you'd probably make a really good dungeon master. I would highly encourage it. And it's not only a, a really fun game, if you're able to find like a, a good group of friends that are willing to play it with you, I highly encourage it. I also have seen in the past, and this is an, like, a, this is just a very extreme example that there was um a job opening i believe years ago uh i mean this might even be like five or six years ago a job opening at a particularly high level company and it was a requirement for one of their jobs to have experience inside of that board game you need to have played and dm'd that board game for a many number of years in order to even be considered for that job that was how seriously they took this thing. It's not a requirement, but it, I would absolutely encourage it because you're thinking in such a way a designer thinks. Brilliant. Okay, so definitely check out Dungeons and Dragons if you're interested in <laughs> learning that kind of design language. I'd, I'd, I'd love to know what other nuggets of advice there are. If you're someone who's starting out, I'm perhaps coming out of college or coming out of university, perhaps mm. even just in school and, 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 and considering a career in games, working in level design or environment art. We, we always hear about things like portfolios, um, game jamming, and all these things yeah. that you can do to kind of boost your skills, hone your skills, find out what it is that you like. From your experience from getting into the industry, what are some of the top ways that young people out there can can better their skills and land that first job? Hmm. So if it's from college to university, I would recommend one thing. So and you want to get into it's it's very difficult to go from college. And I mean, we're English, we're in the England, like England's educational system. So where it is it's typically school, college, university. Um, so here. Uh, it's very difficult to go from college straight into games and developing games as uh, it's not, I would say it's not essential to go to university 
Um, but at the moment, it's encouraged, especially if you want to travel abroad and get a, a job abroad, which a lot of people do in this industry. So let's say I just jump, if you wouldn't mind, from say, I don't know, I'll, I'll mention it a little bit, college to university to get a little bit of experience there. Try your best to work with 3D packages if possible, if you would want to work inside of a 3D um, development like process, whether it's an environment artist or a level designer, just experiment with it. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to learn Blender or any kind of other software that's out there. You know, it could just be Time Splitter's future perfect map creator like I did. It could be Minecraft, but just so you're thinking about building those spaces, and and it could be D and D. You could just be creating these little top-down things, but just as long as you're thinking about it and you're in that process. But then that gets you to the next step, which is university. Um, and university, they're going to teach you all sorts of things. They should teach you about the process that we see currently today uh, inside of games. And now moving from university to games is difficult. Um, and so. If you remind me of the question again, so I can really better answer this as well. But that yeah. especially. Yeah, I think it would just be great to know how best to land that first job. Maybe even talk a little bit about what that process was like for you and any yeah, top yeah. tips you'd give to someone who's perhaps just graduated or just come out of that qualification and looking to get their first job. Fantastic. Yeah, so absolutely from university and, and not not just as you graduate you should do what i'm just about to mention not just after you graduate like you'll be doing this all the way f as early as you possibly can is network um i know uh so many people at, at graduated uni that just did this all too late and then it, it costs some time it's not only because of that but it's networking really helps um and it, i remember years ago thinking that it was like the bon or it's not it, it just helps so who you know and just talking to people and being sociable and being positive so that when you do find yourself in the position years down the line where you're looking for a job, that doors open for you, that um, it just makes things easier. So what I did when I was at university was that I would go to meetups quite often. I mean, there would be meetups around the country, uh, Unreal Engine meetups, there would be uh, indie game meetups. And I would just go there as a student and I would just talk to those people. And I was just curious. I wanted to learn about their job, learn who they were. And I made a lot of good friends. And that was the main benefit is that I made a, I, a lot of friends with a lot of good people. And then second to that, which is fantastic, is that it did open the conversation up down the line for whenever I was looking for a job. They would mail me and go, hey, I, I heard you're looking. Uh, did you want to apply here? And it might not be with them, but they might have heard about it. So growing a network that, that could be friends. That could be contacts, people you meet that are just great people to be around. And so making sure that you're, uh, yeah, networking as early as possible. Then I would say game jams are helpful. Yes, but let's not. Uh, so and I would encourage people to try them. But um, yeah, don't feel like you need to exhaust yourself over the course of a weekend with no sleep and eat terribly because you want to, you know, it, 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 sometimes it's unhealthy um, and like it, so it's helpful to just get people from different backgrounds and in different disciplines and work with them to see how that process works. So game jams are helpful there. Um, what else? I will also say forums online. If you can find, if you're looking for work, for example, and you want feedback on a portfolio and you're building a portfolio, even if it you, you're just starting like to build a portfolio as early as maybe like first year or even when you graduate, post online as often as you can and ask people for feedback and be receptive to feedback. It, don't take a criticism, like, like don't take any criticism like too, too, uh, too deeply. Like, a lot of people are just trying to help. Uh, there is good and bad criticisms uh, and a good way of, uh, of giving people feedback. Um, but when you're doing all of those things, you have people not only inside of a network of people that you either trust uh, and you value their opinions and then you share work, they give you feedback, you can give them feedback, you can learn from one another, and there's like an, an iterative process where you develop, 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 and then there'll be a point once you've done all of those and, and do this well enough, and you'll get eventually that job offer because people will notice that you've improved. Even if, like I did, you started with a terrible little crate or a tree and it looks awful, I just share it online and go, I'm doing something. 
Because in a year later, when someone sees the work that I was doing and it was creating a massive environment, they go, wow, he's learned a lot. And he did that in a year. And just so they can show that growth. And that's that's absolutely crucial. And to do that as early as you possibly can uh, is, yeah, is all the better. Right. And are there any places that you'd recommend sharing that work if you do want to? Yeah, um, you can. I I have done this in a number of places, so uh, I would recommend where it's most helpful. There are a number of Facebook groups where people post. Sometimes that can get uh, a little tricky as there's so many people posting and you might find ah, I posted something and, and no one liked it or commented on it. Uh, and do not think at all that that's a bad thing. Sometimes you just get lost in the algorithm. So feedback on Facebook is sometimes okay, uh, but better still is if you're able to post it on uh, websites like Polycount, um, where there are people who go specifically to share work and to give feedback. You'll find professionals on there, students on there. Uh, so that's a great site just for that. Um, You'll also, and I mean, any social media to going back to the Facebook thing, even like Twitter. I mean, you've noticed some of the stuff I do on Twitter uh, and because you can build your own sort of a network and people see that stuff. Um, but yeah, stuff like Polycount, if you're able to do something even like that on ArtStation, even even better. Stuff like where it, uh, like that, websites which are specifically for hosting that sort of work and people can comment on it and they have an actual profile with a verifiable name. Because, yeah, the, the worst thing on Twitter is when you just share an image and you're like working on something and then you get a stranger saying something. And you're like, I you know, don't know who that is. But the good thing is when you're on ArtStation or on Polycount, you can actually see who those people are, uh, what their background is, what their professional experience is. And if they're very helpful, send them a message, say thank you. And uh, and then maybe in the future they'll do the same and it will get better and get better. And um, yeah, it, it just people will improve and eventually uh, they'll get to a point where they will be hireable and they'll work perfectly well inside of a studio environment. So as early as possible, people should be networking. They mm. should give game jams a go, but don't exhaust yourself um, making games with them. Uh, people should be getting feedback on their work regularly, showing their learning journey and showing that they're improving. And I guess getting actively involved in communities of people that kind of love the same thing that they do. Yeah. Yes. So that forum bit I mentioned, the communities, that could even be uh, the very last thing, blogs. So if, if someone felt like it was satisfying to share their work on their own blog and then sending those links to people to go, hey, could you just look at the blog? And then they would show you the images. Here's the process of what do you think? Anything that anyone feels comfortable with, with sharing with other people. Uh, it's a big step sometimes to talk to other people you don't know or sharing it with the world. Because, you know, those sorts of things, when you open yourself up, you could you open yourself up to criticism and it, and it, it could feel quite well, it, um, quite anxious sometimes. Right. Um, but even if you just start out by sending it to one person uh, and just asking their feedback from someone, especially you like you trust or you value their opinion, uh, start there. And then when that goes well, then share it with a few more people. Uh, and then work on that feedback they give you. And then once you've opened it up to a few more, a few more, like open, more, bigger, 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 and just keep working on that, keep working on it until the point where you just become comfortable with your work, even if it is like so, so simple that you could just share it and go, anyone got any feedback for me? Um, and yeah, like I've reached out to a lot of people uh, while I was still studying who were in professional, like, um, in the professional environment already working professionally and i just asked them about their job and i didn't start poking and writing long paragraphs i just i just wanted to have a, a conversation with them that was answered a couple of questions that i might have had um and that was cool because you find that you know, if someone sent me or you a message brandon i'm sure you'd say the same you just send a message back and you'd answer honestly uh and it goes back to the very first thing we talked about when we discover that this whole industry isn't locked off that you can actually message the people who do a lot of this stuff and they'll get back to you with an answer reasonably quickly um, just because they want to help. So yeah, I encourage people to do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think that's really, really good advice. Um, I think it's important to just get yourselves actively involved in these communities and don't be too anxious about speaking to people. I think more often than not, you will find that that those on in the game development community on Twitter or ArtStation or the other kind of places that you mentioned are really kind of um, happy to kind of reach out back and, and give advice or kind of guidance wherever they can. Um, I guess kind of off the back of that, off the great advice you've just given me, I wonder what's the best advice that you have received um, since working in games? Ooh, oh, it changes year by year. Like if I look back, what's it? so in my learning development process, it would probably be work smart, not hard. I didn't value that feedback when I first heard it but it makes it all more valuable when I did learn that lesson um, so that you're not exhausting yourself and changing who you are just to fit inside of that process. Because a lot of people think you've just got to work. And I did years ago, I think you have to work strenuously um, and change in order to become essentially like get a job, right? Um, no, work smart. If you, it's not reasonable to be working all hours of the night. Uh, you can get more done, sure. But... Does it cost you something? Yes. Uh, so working smart, uh, not hard. Uh, there's a big difference. I would say also um, discipline uh, is stronger than motivation. And what I mean by that is motivation is sort of fleeting. It's a little bit more like short term. If I see a cool movie and I go, yeah, I want to make that cool asset. And I want to make a cool level. And I go, yeah, let's do it. And I spend the next two hours like creating something cool. I wake up the next day and then that motivation might have gone and I might have something might have happened in my personal life and I'm a bit demotivated and I don't ever look at that piece of work ever again. So what is good to work towards uh, something which is a more disciplined approach to work. So for me, for myself, for example, I have like one evening, really a week where I, I dedicate and that's a, I have like a certain amount of time that I will log towards whether it's personal work or not. Usually it's like a Wednesday. Uh, and so a couple of hours in that evening, I'll load up whatever work I need to do and I'll work on it. Um, yeah, I, sometimes one Wednesday might do very little. One other Wednesday I might do like a lot, but um, that's something that I do regularly and so regularly that it just becomes part of my day and it becomes part of the process, like waking up in the morning, like brushing your teeth. And then that's discipline. That's what I mean is it just you, it's something taught over time, it becomes a habit um but yeah but don't take that too far uh like i say keep in mind the very first one that is work smart not hard uh well yeah yeah uh and those two together you will um you will find that in a shorter span of time you will have improved quite a lot and i think the very last one very short um compare yourself to where you were yesterday not compare yourself to others so look back on where you've and like how you've improved over the however many weeks or years, as opposed to judging yourself based on where other people are that are not you. That's just unrealistic. That's it. That's the, those are three things that I'd probably say have been very helpful for me to for me to learn. Really, really great advice. Um, kudos to whoever shared that with you and kudos for sharing it with me, actually. It spurred some New Year's resolutions in me, I think, already. That's <laughs> really, really great advice, actually. And I think the first one is a really kind of important distinction to make, especially when we hear so much around kind of working practices in the industry and around people having to work longer hours than they should. I think it's important to say that you should work smart and not hard and that there are, by and large, a lot of employers out there who want you to work smart and not hard mm. and that you should be actively seeking those employers out rather than the ones who want you to work hard yeah and uh like a lot of these kind of like um these principles that like i'll outline i'll hear uh principles that you have i mean it's a it's a day by day thing sometimes we fail at these things and we uh we just have to keep them as a kind of a north star that we we strive towards so i'll i'll trip up on number one, and then I'll trip up a number two, three. Like I, there'll be sometimes where, uh, you know, things in my personal life get in the way and you just got to find a way to pick yourself up. And so, yeah, the motivation thing's cool. I can find fleeting moments and I use that. And, and some weeks, you know what? I don't want to work on a Wednesday. You know, something, I, I, that's okay. Um, 
it's not that you failed, but we try our best to work towards those principles. Uh, as long as we're trying, we're doing our artist, then that's fine. But yeah, uh, I think that's it. I think that's for me. That's great advice, man. That's really, really good advice. You know, that question, if it was the other way around, would have totally stumped me. Maybe I just have never had anyone in my life that's given me any good advice, or maybe I just have a terrible memory. I don't know. <laughs> I think actually more than likely, it's just that I'm just really bad at taking on advice. <laughs> well, uh, me too. Like, I can't even take my own advice sometimes. But yeah, we work towards it. And uh, it's something we just remind ourselves to keep those guiding principles. I'll add that on the work smart, work hard, discipline, all this stuff too. Um, you can find you can oh wait, you can find things uh, either online or that you could use in the day that help you do these things. Um, for example, I struggle getting up in the mornings. I usually will just I'll pick up my phone after rolling out of bed and I'm just sit there scrolling for hours endlessly. Um, that's not great. Like, so what I did to change that is because I noticed that I was spending about an hour in my morning. I would just lob my phone out into the corridor and I'm forced to get up when my alarm goes off. It's something like that. Or if I needed to keep a, a diary entry of like some of the things to do, what's my to-do list? Is there something on the weekend that I could do like to tick off a couple of those things? Yeah, that may be because I can then visualize it and I feel good when I tick that thing off. Or when I was doing my final major project, I had a calendar on the wall. And I, I said, okay, by this day, I would like to have done this. Or by this day, I'd like to do this. And then I log what I've done in the day. And I feel good when I tick a couple of things off too. And all those things feel that you're working towards something. When you look back at all of that work, you see where you've come from, you see the progress you've made, and you think, okay, well, fantastic. Now I can keep moving forward, keep improving. Um, and giving yourself small rewards along the way too. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it helps. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Little bits each day, you know, I think you're right in kind of saying that thing of just like the discipline of like not thinking that you need to do everything all the time, just little bits here or there where you can and and, and see the progress that you've made. Um, absolutely. Bit by bit. Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to get on to our last segment of the podcast. Um, this is some fun questions um, that hopefully you will enjoy. And I always enjoy hearing the answers from at least anyway. I want to know a few things about your favorite games. Um mm. So I've got a few questions. Um, I'd love to hear your answers. The first one is that I would love to know if you, Sean, were stranded on a desert island and you can bring one game with you to play, what game are you taking? And I'd love to know why. Oh, favourite game on a desert island. That's a terrible scenario, isn't it? Uh... <laughs> you've, got the co you've got the thing to play it as well. You don't just have the case and the disc. You've got everything. And, and the power. You've got the power <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. What kind of monitor am I looking at on this desert island? This is uh, important. Whatever you like, whatever monitor you like. You can pick the setup as well. <laughs> it's a very interesting desert island, though. Um, uh, it depends. So if I'm thinking I'm going to be stranded playing one game pretty much like over and over. Or, you know, and so I'm thinking between a couple games. Is it something that I can still play over and over, even if it's like one level, but I still get more out of it? And uh you know, and I think stuff like that, I think Halo, because some of those levels that you had inside of the campaign, Halo 2, Halo 3, the AI, all the sandbox or sort of stuff that they had, uh, when you fight enemies inside of those spaces, you know, your approach can drastically change, and the weapons you have, how far you've come, what, what vehicles you've got, allies, all that can drastically change the outcome of that encounter compared to when you last played it. So AI, but I'm like hovering on like a game like that, which is you feel like there's a replayability factor. I'm hovering between that and an open world game, which is just rich with detail that you can just go out and around. And and some there are some really incredible examples out there. And I think I'm going to sit with my answer being uh, Witcher Free Wild Hunt by CD Projekt Red because that game is so big and the amount of complexity in that detail where it's needed, the richness uh, in some of those side missions, not only the story content, but the combat. Yes, like there's a lot there. There's a lot there and there's a lot to unpack. And so I've probably sit with the Witcher for a while, that would be my answer, I think. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. You get a few hundred hours out of that outside of kind of like um, creating SOS signs out of coconut shells and like little huts out of palm tree leaves and things like that. You can you can have a good good uh, good wee time playing The Witcher 3, I reckon. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I look, and I'm also this is I'm same with films and same with games. If you ask me this tomorrow, I'll probably give you a different answer. If you ask me this next week, I'll probably give you another answer. But uh, yeah, I'll be hovering around like about ten, you know, ten games or so. I don't have a favorite game. I have favorites. Uh, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm the same. I think most people are. It's hard to pick one. Um, yeah, it's like picking a favorite child. Like, exactly. We shouldn't do it, really. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of which, I'm going to ask you to pick one game for my next question. Oh, dear. So you, as a level designer, you have the opportunity to work on any game, past, present, or future. So this could be a game from your childhood you loved and would have loved to have been part of. This could have been a new AAA blockbuster that uh, you would have liked to have had your name roll down the credits on. Or it's a sequel to a game that never got made that you'd love to make. Um, I'd mm. love to know, what game would you have loved to work on? Ooh. There's a couple. So a few years ago, there was a really, really cool game uh, which kind of went under the radar because it was um, released around the same time as a lot of big big games uh and that game has kind of got a little soft spot for me uh and it's about 10 years old so maybe more now it's called dark sector uh by digital extremes that then essentially became the blueprint for warframe but uh yeah that sort of stuff that is really really cool uh just because of the world there is really interesting to me but that's also fits in the same sort of vein me talking about me as a teenager i've also loved to have done the same thing with a halo game with a time splitters future perfect kind of game those are cool but i think they're in the back pocket i'm gonna i'm not gonna give you one answer you, you want one answer i'm not gonna give you one i'm gonna give you multiple so that's one um and i would say now like right now i'm like i really want to make a cool level for like a um vermintides or a left for dead kind of thing because at the moment that's the kind of game that i really get a lot out get a lot of kick out of i love vermintide too um i loved left for dead uh you know the games you know left for dead is is a little old now but it's still the formula works the maps you can make and some of the things you could do ah yeah that'd be pretty cool again same as last you ask me next week i'll change my answer <laughs> no some good answers there and you know what i'd love to work on left for dead as well and hey you know maybe you'll get the opportunity someday with uh, back for bloods coming out right then it turtle rock studios so and left for dead so, in a way is back and so is dark tired i have to give uh i have to give kudos to to fat shark because yes uh that's another one so uh yeah but um i We'll premise all of that with Last of Us is like if I put that up there with one of my favorite games of all time, just because of what it achieved story wise, it would have been an absolute honor to work on anything like that. So, yeah, a, a absolute range from your crazy action shooters in the past to some really story driven games to even some just cool multiplayer like um, or survival games like that. So, yeah, a nice mix. Yeah, some good ones. And my, my final question. Which game, if any, made you cry? Ooh, I, years ago with my best mates, we said, let's do a, it was a 48 hour gaming marathon with no sleep. We wouldn't sleep for 48 hours, highly unhealthy. And uh, we would see if we put all this on Twitch and on YouTube, how much money we could get. Uh, and we donated all of that, all of that money. Was it a lot of that? All of that money was online. <laughs> yeah, that would be shady. All of that money to special effects. Um, because uh, that was a charity I remember finding out about back then and I thought no what they're doing is great like a lot of charities of course you get like from cancer research to um, the veterans but just special effects and seeing the work they did um, I thought you know it'd be fantastic of a group of friends we could just have fun and raise some, uh, some money for charity um, to raise quite a bit but in that time what I did do was I had the chance to play on my friend's PlayStation 3 I uh, don't have a PlayStation 3. And so this was at the end of the era. I played The Last of Us for the first time. And I had no sleep for about 24 hours at this point. And I played The Last of Us from beginning to end with no spoilers before. I had no idea what I was getting in for. I just knew this game was amazing uh, from everyone that I trusted and their opinions of games. And uh, yeah, I was sobbing at very like simple bits. Meanwhile, my friends were on other PlayStation games or other Xbox games or on PC playing FIFA. They had no understanding why their like mate behind them is crying at a giraffe. Like it was the point where Ellie like pats a giraffe. Like a very it's not the point where the kid at the beginning something happens or at the end. I, I did there also. No, I, yeah, I did cry there too, but it was at the giraffe. I was like sobbing. I was just uh, sleep deprived, but it was an amazing experience that I treasure. 
Oh, such a lovely moment and encapsulated in such a nice event as well. That's great. Oh, I love that. And, and such an endearing <laughs> moment in that game with the giraffe as well. And, you know, I'm sure you're not the only person who's cried at that. Yeah, I, I hope not. But uh, yeah, it was embarrassing to be caught in that moment on the sofa, um, surrounded by like Coke cans of like my friend going, why are you crying? Like, is it the sleep? I'm like, I think so. But it's also the game. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that terribly embarrassing story with us. And thank you so much for your time, man. It's really, really been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. And I've learned so much about level design. I really, really have. And lots of great advice there too. So yeah, honestly, can't thank you enough, man. No, no, thank you, man. And uh, yeah, thanks for this opportunity. Um, yeah, I implore anyone, uh, even at the earliest stages of their career or in an education, um, I implore you to, to, to look into this um, as early as you can. And, and not everyone has access to like a high-end computer. You don't need that to get into learning this sort of stuff. So, um, but just keep an eye out. Um, speak to people try your best to learn about the process where you want to fit in that process so uh, programming vfx art design um and just learn about it if, it if it sounds like something for you um then learn some more uh absolutely is accessible to everyone uh, no matter your background and no matter where you're from what you look like who your parents are doesn't matter doesn't matter. This is a this is the most inclusive industry on the planet. Great. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I love love the advice and lovely motivation and inspiration there for anyone who's listening along who's thinking that games might be a career for them. Before we finish on, I'd love to know: is there anything you want to shout about? Anything you're up to that you want people to to know about? Anything that you're doing that you want people to check out? Um, I suppose if anyone had any questions, like, so going back to what we said earlier, Brandon, like I wanted to put, um, you know, to, to show there's evidence in that when we said, if you found any, if you had any questions like watching this, you wanted to direct them my way, whether that's about my job, uh, and what I do, if that's something that you're interested in or about a job, uh, anything, anything, if you have any, uh, questions about the process, getting into this stuff, just send me a message because I will get back to you. Um, I'm absolutely open to speaking to people about this and starting a dialogue there. Uh, so that on the table for sure. Um, yeah, and then I, I do have my own website. Um, you can find me online on Twitter at Gorman Dev, uh, so G-O-R-M-A-N-D-E-V. Um, yeah, just ping me a message there or on my website uh, and I will get back to you as quick as I can. Um, yeah, and that's it from me really. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, hope you all enjoyed, folks. And we'll see you soon.